Blog Talk Radio. Happy Thursday. This is Michael Vandervoort, and I'm here with my co-host, Robin Schooling. We're doing a second show this week. Robin, hello again today. Welcome back to Drive Through. How are you today? Mm-hmm. Hello, Michael. I am uh, I am doing good. I, uh, I love doing multiple shows in a week. keeps me on my toes. Yeah, and, and especially considering that we're probably not doing any shows next week, so that'll, that'll, it'll, keep the, it'll keep shows That's in the right. pipeline. So, yeah, it's all good. Um, we have a uh, we have an interesting guest today. Um, topic that is uh, you know not not necessarily a, a, a mainstream HR issue like benefits or compensation, but something that a lot of companies deal with. Uh, mm-hmm. Our guest is Elizabeth Goss. Elizabeth is an immigration lawyer. Elizabeth, welcome to Drive Through HR. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. You're, yeah, thanks for being here. Are, I, I, I'm guessing from your area code, maybe New Jersey. Are you up on the northeast, or am I guessing wrong? For, further north, I'm in Boston. Boston, okay. Well, how, how's the weather in Boston? It's right at the cusp of oh. it should be, it's either going to be really nice or still snowing, right? It's, exactly. We, well, we have, we, it's not snowing. It's, it's nice and damp and rainy, but the flowers are out, you know, so we have the magnolia trees blooming, which is, which is a good thing. <laughs> Rob and I have a mild obsession with talking about the weather. We all live in, we really do. in Louisiana, and we're, we're, head, we're always headed towards hot. So it, it, anyway, yeah, we do. I, I, I think it's my obsession. I'm always the one. So anyway, Elizabeth, um, I, you know, tell, tell, tell us about yourself and uh, your immigration practice. It's very interesting reading through some of the stuff that you do. And it's, it's not something that every HR professional touches on, but I think it's going to be continue to grow with, with this need as we face this current talent shortage. So introduce yourself for us. Sure. So, uh, you know, I, I've been working in the field of immigration for a long time, 28 years longer than I'd like to admit. Um, we started, in, started in-house at an institution of higher education. I ran their visa program, and then uh, I, I decided to go to law school at night, and I did that, and then I've been practicing ever since I graduated from law school, which was 20 years ago. Um, we mostly focus on business immigration. Of course, we, you know, have, a, we have some pro bono that we work, but we, we focus mostly businesses, uh, lots, of, lots of work with institutions of higher education, colleges, and universities across the country. You know, immigration is a, is, a, is a little bit odd in the field of law as well because it's a federal practice. Uh, it's federal mm-hmm. law, so we can, you know, we practice all across the country. We have people we represent in a variety of straight, states, coast to coast. We also, because we're a boutique immigration law firm, we have, you know, we have a handful of attorneys. We're, we're only a team of 15, which, quite frankly, could be a department and a big firm, but for, you know, an immigration law firm, it's a boutique. Um, we also focus on startup to sort of mid-level companies, which is interesting. I like that because it's, it's uh, you get to actually work with companies as they grow. So we, we partner, we sort of consider ourselves an outside partner to HR mm-hmm. folks and mm-hmm. uh, bring in that expertise uh, to them and, and can work with HR folks in a pretty nimble way, giving them training when they need it for recruitment, but also, you know, being able to give them ad hoc advice without having to 
most companies aren't going to have the need to have an in-house specialist. You know, Microsoft, yeah. Amazon, sure, they do. But for, for most companies, it's, it's really an outside resource that's going, to, that's going to be able to give them what they need. Hmm. Well, you know, if I would have had a little more gumption in my life, I perhaps could be, uh, I, I perhaps could have Elizabeth's career because I also ran or managed the uh, immigration and visa office, if you will, at, at, a, at a higher education facility for three years as well. So I had my H-1Bs and J-1s and TNs and ev- all of that, faculty, researchers, oh, you name it. Yep. So oh, I, yeah. I, I lived yeah. it. I didn't That's go to great. law school, though, because I didn't love it that much. So, uh, But, yeah, this is a, this is a fascinating uh, topic to me, you know, so um, – because obviously I, I I worked it years ago, but worked it, um, and then my husband came to the states originally on an H-1B before he got his uh, permanent residency and ultimately citizenship. So I, I feel like I've lived and breathed visas for far too many years in far too many ways. But um, you know, it's it's interesting now because again, while a lot of you know a lot of uh, Typical HR professionals are probably not dealing with it. It is. It, it there are many that that do and are, or they're being, they're considering it. Perhaps sponsoring someone for the first time, but sponsoring someone here now in, in the pandemic era, um, probably adds a whole lot of new nuance to it. How so? You know, tossing out question one, Elizabeth. How, how has the pandemic, um, impacted? you know, work visas and sponsorships for for companies or for individuals in the U.S.? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's obviously complicated. You know, the pandemic has complicated everything. I think, you know, even before the pandemic, the, the prior administration was complicating things for all immigrants. I think there was an yeah. invisible wall put up even in the, you know, in the, the business side of the house on the immigration that a lot of people – you know, you wouldn't know unless you're working in the yeah. field. Um, we, we, mm. we always like to say it's death by a thousand paper cuts. Um, you know, just the, the systems were slowly grinding to a halt. Um, and I think that, you know, there were, there were a huge number of mistakes being made by the, um, by the immigration service. And, you know, being a manager myself, I kept looking at these problems and thinking that's bad, you know, it's, it's indicative of bad management, unfortunately. Um, and I think that the pandemic just exacerbated those problems mm-hmm. and gave, gave it, it did, in my opinion, it gave, um, it gave the administration excuse to issue, you know, these travel bans that basically yes. shut down folks from entering the United States from outside. I mean, we in-house, inside, it certainly slowed lines down. It, it made processing much more difficult. But things were still generally running. Um, but but the, the the hardest thing were companies that needed to get their assets inside the United States. You know, for example, yes. if you're if you're a cybersecurity company and you need your key cybersecurity experts, there were just many more hurdles and hoops to bring those people in, which drives costs, right? Because yeah. like every every a mechanism you need to use to get somebody in, um, it delays. You know, time delays getting folks in, um, costs costs uh, are increasing. So it, it, I think what the pandemic really did was it, it, it finally like broke the ban um, for, mm-hmm. for the system that was pretty tightly, uh, that, was, that was already under a lot of stress. It's, it's, it's sort of like the last thing 
Um, and, you know, so we, we're, we're here now, which is we're getting, you know, we're, we're on the upside, but there's a lot of problems to be fixed and ironed out in the system. Well, and, and I was also thinking, you know, as the year was going on, too, of, you know, pandemic-related layoffs and shutdowns. Um, and, you know, it's bad enough, you know, obviously for anyone that had to undergo that. But then I think of someone who, who was on a, you know, an H-1B, for example, and, uh, oh, you're laid off, you're out of status, you got you have to return to your home country and all that sort of thing to even, or potentially return to your home company to, to try to, to find another sponsorship and come back in. And, and it probably just halted so many people's lives and careers and um, what, they, what they could do or where their families were. Yeah, yeah it, it, I think the pandemic also, you had... So we, like I said, we work with a lot of small to mid-level companies. So it, it might it stopped people from bringing people here in the United States. So if there was yeah. an empty seat and they were outside, they were like, okay, we're not going to fill it right now. But for a lot of our companies, there weren't layoffs. But what happened was people wanted to work at home in other places. Like for example, mm. if I'm sitting in snowy Boston in February, uh, can I go to Florida for you know and work work remotely yep, for yep. you? So th- there's there were changes that needed to be made in the visas. Um, that probably weren't, you know, contemplated when when these folks were originally brought in. So there was a lot of movement of people, uh, and not not even just for weather, but we we saw people, you know, there are people with bi coastal relationships, and it was oh, I can yeah. actually maybe I'm going to go, you know, stay with my my partner, um, yeah, for for six months and work. So we saw a lot of shifting throughout the United hmm. States, which was interesting to observe. I was curious about like spouses of people that are sponsored over it. Cause I know there was some issue with the last administration about working for student visas and, and that kind of stuff. I was wondering about that, what the status of that was, although that's just a tangential question off what you guys were just talking about. Yeah, no, for, for student visas, it was, uh, there were a lot of things that were under fire in the last administration work cards for spouses of H one B's, um, student visa work authorization. Some of that was in the courts, but you know, the, most the, the core challenges were dismissed. Um, and okay. a, a, a lot of the really draconian things that the prior administration wanted to do have been, you know, been stopped either through the courts. And the courts have been a really effective means uh, for our field in the last four years. Like I, I went into this field never thinking I was ever going to be in federal court ever. And mm-hmm. I can tell you, in the last. In the last year, we I have I got myself admitted to federal court practice, and we've been wow. filing in federal court. So that's that's mm. an area that we're expanding into. Um, and unfortunately, although things are getting better, things aren't great yet. So we still have that to use that tool in our toolbox. Yeah, it, um, it's, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, un, uh, interesting but unfortunate. Uh, yeah. So. yeah. Hey, Robin, I know you. I know you're on a short timeline today so I'll go ahead and jump into the next question yeah, I, am, I, I, I am on a I am on a short one but but I got time for one more question <laughs> um, <laughs> in, a, in addition to you know obviously this this need to bring talent from around the world for for a number of companies and certainly for for highly you know the highly specialized workers and the, and the folks that you're working with your clients on um, what you know how is that how is that um, that 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 reliance on global talent um, being 
you know, what are the challenges that you're seeing companies having now? They've they've decided they, for economic reasons or skill reasons or whatever, they've they've needed to rely on global talent. What's what's kind of shaking that up right now? Yeah, I think there's a few things. It's not it's not just those sectors. It's also you know think about agricultural workers and even seasonal workers. Like mm-hmm. there's a huge problem right now in a lot of um, a lot of uh, vacation locations. So like the the um, coasts that open up for business over the summer, you know, lakes, things like that. They they rely heavily on uh, folk on young folks that might come from. Yeah different countries to work for the summer. That line is, is pretty much, that line is very, very slow. And I know that at least in, I know in, in several areas across the United States, Michigan and Massachusetts come to mind because they're the ones I specifically know about where, where owners of businesses would decide, you know what, we're not going to open this season or we're going to, we're going to curtail mm-hmm. our hours because we don't have the staff. So that yeah. affects that, you know, that affects their business, but it also affects the community. So, you know, yeah. that's bad. Um, and then obviously agricultural workers, we can't get these workers in. That's food, the food that's on our table, right? We're, prices are yeah. affected. We're affected directly. But for businesses, um, you, you see, I think right now, especially now that hopefully, you know, we're on the, on the back end of this pandemic and things are starting to move and open up again, you can, I just feel like there's this, um, there's this, uh, a big need for our companies to be moving their projects forward and they need their key people in the key places. And it's still the drag on processing times um, mm-hmm. on, you know, the, the limitations of embassy appointments because the state department itself is trying to staff back up. You know, they sent a lot of their mm-hmm. staff home during the pandemic. So mm-hmm. they've got a huge backlog. So this, like, it's, a, it's just another drag on trying to reopen and restart the engines of the economy. Mm. Yeah, because I would imagine all of those, I mean, for a, a good period of time, probably any of those sort of in-person appointments at at um, local offices or, or embassies or wherever that people needed to keep, they probably just canceled everything in person. Yeah, everything was shut down, and even we were having spot yeah. shutdowns. For example, you know, in Israel earlier this year, I'm sure anybody who's paying attention to the news, there was several months where they just shut down. You know, um, yeah. so mm-hmm. that that would also impact embassy processing. Um, it's it's and it's there, there's certain you know it, it's it's frustrating because there pro, there are there are certain things they try to waive. So in person interviews for somebody who's coming back in the same category, you know, this is their second third time. They probably don't need to see that person. Um, so yeah. there are they are trying to use the mechanisms available to them to alleviate some of that direct in person. Visa service, but there's there's folks that they're just going to want to see, no matter what. And I think you know a lot of the first time folks, they might want to see. Um, they they themselves had staffing, you know they they shut down as well. So they and they sent a lot of staff home in the beginning of of the pandemic. I think there was also a drag on the the entire State Department because it's the State Department that manages the, manages that overseas. You know I think there was a lot of um, dissatisfaction in the workforce also under the last administration. So you had you had a lot of I think you had turnover. You have a pandemic. Then you got to restart the you got to restart the federal agencies and have them open and operating. And then you still have you know temporary shutdowns here and there. We got some sure. great news yesterday. Um, the State Department said that for you know, we still have public health bans, for example, in Europe because of the strains that are going around. But we got some great news mm-hmm. yesterday, our State Department, saying that students, so the students who are coming in for summer and fall, 
um, which are a big part of our economic engine because they bring in like 50 plus billion a year to our, our country in, in money, um, that they are going to be allowed, they're given an exemption from the public health ban. They still have to, you know, do the testing or be proved vaccination. Mm-hmm. So they still have to do what we all have to do. But it, it, that will alleviate some of the, the, some of the tension in the system as well. Yeah, it, it, I was curious about that. Is, is vaccination for for COVID now part of the uh, part of the protocol to get in in the country when you're coming in on a, on a visa at this point, or is that still has it not caught up yet? It, 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 it's 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 either testing or vaccination. So if you're vaccinated, gotcha. you don't okay. have to do the test, but but it's one or the other. I don't think you can mandate. Well. Maybe you could, but you could, you certainly can't do it for U.S. citizens, right? So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that'll be interesting so. to watch, and I yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting to watch. I know everyone's. I know it's 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 a very hesitant. Uh, very hesitant. It's not an immigration issue. It's just a very hesitant thing where people still are yeah. trying to sort out if requiring vaccinations is a is a good thing or a bad thing. And you know, and I get it. I I, I don't have, really have a strong opinion either way. Um, I'm vaccinated, yeah. but uh, for what that's worth. Anyway, yeah. um, let me do a quick let me do a real quick reset. Robin dropped off, so so for those of you that are listening, Robin had to, had to had to go work. She gets paid to to work during the day, and she had to go do work. So we're gonna uh, finish up the show with just Michael and and our guest, who is Elizabeth Goss. Elizabeth, as you may have guessed, is an attorney that has a, runs an immigration law practice, assisting employers in in dealing with their immigration issues related to the workplace and. We're having a, a wide-ranging conversation about topic about that topic and issues related to that. So, um, I guess we, the, the the next question I had sent over your way, we've kind of talked around, but maybe let's let's just maybe try to drill down a little bit. Um, so you've got you've, you've kind of mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of slowdowns in the hiring lanes and getting people in, difficulty in getting te- like secure cybersecurity talent. Um, so there's there's been obviously an impact on the economy. I guess it's it's you know maybe getting better, um, but what what like right now what else is going on? Like I was curious about like the relationship between the U.S. and China, for example. Do do those kind of issues get in the way of the the talent pipelines? And do you work in that regard at all, or do you see trends in that way, Elizabeth? Yeah, you know it. it, it yes, it's interesting. It, they they can believe, they can seep down into the visa line. So for example, if you are concerned about Chinese. Uh, the, the technology transfer or, or, or mm-hmm. some, um, you know, taking of our technology, you can have certain people who are going for visas at a U.S. embassy put through an administrative processing, um, and that will delay somebody sometimes four months from, from coming into the United States. I, that is not something that is unique to this period. We've always seen that, but there are trends, and right now China is particularly difficult Um you know, with regards to having these extra administrative processing, uh, you know, that's one area, but there there could be a, a variety of areas. Uh, it, it, but it's it's a trend, you know. Sometimes China, it's sometimes it's China, sometimes it's Brazil, sometimes it's India. Right now, obviously, with India and the and COVID just being out of control, oh, you yeah. know, this, these appointments aren't happening. So, you know, that if you have people you want to bring in, it's not going to happen, uh, at least not for a while. Yeah. You know, so we'll 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 check in two or three months. So it, it, it does impact. It does impact. So it's like hot, hot spots of all different sorts all over the place, and all you can do yeah. is kind of try to figure out and ride through it, I guess. Um, so if you're an employer, um, let's pivot a little bit. If you're an employer that is kind of looking at this for the first time, 
um, or, you know, taking the plunge where you haven't had to do that before. And it seems like the odds of, of that occurring uh, look with the talent, global talent shortage we seem to be facing seem like the odds of that happening are increasing for employers. What, what would you talk, what would you tell to a first time client and, you know, what like steps they can take and things that they should be thinking about if they were going to dip their toe in these waters? Yeah, sure. So I, I would say, you know, find yourself a good resource, a good asset. When you work in the immigration field, most immigration attorneys are flat fee attorneys. So you can have an, an, you know, you should be able to have a working relationship or develop a working relationship with an attorney that they could be your on-call HR person for immigration. So when we work with clients, for example, we might pre-screen applicants before they get to the offer. So if they have, you know, a pool where they've, they've, queued up maybe two or three and these these are really the finalists and somebody has a visa issue because it's you can't you can have certain things up front but it's usually once you're in the mix of of making a final decision um that it, mm-hmm. it's the the issue comes up if you have a good uh resource in place they should be able to pre-screen for you and at least tell you you know this is possible this is not possible if you're looking you know the costs are going to be around this you might have to do a visa transfer and you start a green card at the same time if they're at the end of their H-1B life, for example. Um, you know, you get a maximum of six years on, on certain kind of visas unless you have uh, a green card started for them. Um, some folks, you know, the system, the way it, we're operating, we're operating under a system that's uh, four decades plus old. So the, the numbers of green cards we give out in the employment-based sector is 142,000 a year, and that includes spouses and children. So we don't give out a whole lot of green cards every year in the sector, and mm-hmm. it's also based on country of birth. So you have a huge backlog for somebody, say, born in India. India and China are the two biggest backlog countries in the world. So if you're onboarding people from certain countries, you also have to look at what does it mean in terms of how many times am I going to have to renew this visa? And, you, you know, to at least get an idea of, of what your costs are now, medium term, long term, and then, you know, making sure that that can fit within the needs of, of, of the company. Um, and, you know, again, when we work with, with HR people, it's just to it's not for them to become experts most of the time, but for them to, to have the resources to be able to, to figure out what the red flags are, what the costs are, which may at the end not matter, but at least the hiring manager knows up front. Like if you hire this person, this is what the costs are going to be, and everybody is mm-hmm. clear um, from the beginning. Because the last thing you want to do, and this happens as well, you know, sometimes the, sometimes there's a hire made, and then we come in, we're doing the analysis after the fact, and – this person has six months, you know, and then what are you going to do? Because now, you know, the, the, is the offer rescinded or or it's it, maybe you, they didn't want to do a green card and they have to do a green card faster. It doesn't mean they're going to get the green card, but, you know, they're probably faster than the policy. The other big thing is policy, uh, especially for newer companies who are just starting in this. You probably don't need a policy if you're just going to do one or two cases. But we okay. see companies grow. And, and so just to set the expectation up front, because otherwise you have individual employees coming to you asking for sponsorship, it's natural. They're going to want sponsorship. They're not going to want to stay temporary, and there's a, there's a shelf life for those temporary visas anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But to, at what point in time do you need to really establish a policy? Um, what policy works for the company? Um, and, and just to be able to have a resource, you know, if somebody might come in with a work permit, it, 
maybe it's based on marriage to their spouse, right? And it has nothing to do with mm-hmm. company sponsorship. But you're maybe a person who is doing your I nine documentation is like, what does this mean? <laughs> Can we hire this person? So to be able to ask questions of somebody, even if they don't eventually flow through um, the attorney, at least you you have you know that trusted person where you can you can get answers to these questions. Right. And when and when you say sponsorship, I think I know. Um, I've never done it, so Robin mm-hmm. probably knows more about it yeah. than I do. Um, <laughs> sponsorship is is actually getting someone in the country on a temporary visa, but with the ultimate intent of them getting their green card. Correct. Well, I don't. That, if I'm a company, I don't have to sponsor somebody for a green card. Yes, okay. it's 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 implied, right? But it's I don't I I don't even have to sponsor you if I don't want to. If it turns out that somebody has a visa and I didn't know, I don't have to hire that person. Uh, it's okay. Because the I I don't have to. Uh, you know, I'm not on the hook for that. If I want to do it, I can right. do it. Um, and it makes mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of times it, it's obviously natural. An employee is not going to want to stay with you long term if you're not going to sponsor them for for a green card. They're right. going to go look somewhere else for somebody who does. But it's not required. Um, so I think that's you know that's another um, that's another conversation we have with people a lot as well. You know sometimes they they get a candidate and they're like where we don't want to sponsor this person. Do we have to you know are we in trouble if we don't? And, and there's no obligation to proactively sponsor someone. Yeah, I've seen the ads, you know, you know, over the years, the saying, you know, we will not, you know, will not sponsor her and that kind of thing. Yeah. Being, you know, negatively, yeah. you know, negatively upfront. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's negatively. They're being, they're being clear it's, and transparent upfront. I guess is the right clear. way to say that. But. Yeah, and yeah. I, I mean, I, I've heard, I've had companies say that to me before, and then a year later, they're like, "Yeah, we really can't find the people we need, enough of the people we need, so we we do need to do this." Mm-hmm. On the other hand, when I'm talking to students at institutions of higher education, as they're because they get a year of work permission from their studies, so a lot of times people go into the companies with one kind of visa, and then the company has to sponsor them and change them to another. So it's. For me, when the student's like, well, I would really like to work for this corporation, it's my goal, but right on their website it says, we do not sponsor. You know, it's a, you can have a conversation with the students then and say, well, then, you know, look at elsewhere. They have told you up front they're not going to make an exception. You know, they're not going to make an exception to that policy for a junior person coming in. So look for opportunities where, where the opportunities would, you know, be, be more of a realistic chance of happening. So it works. It works both ways. It helps also people identify who might actually be willing. And I think especially with new companies to this, when I this is how we we start to begin the conversation with uh, organizations newer to this issue. A lot of times the students will bring us in because they've they've heard us at presentations at their institution. Their employer is like, well, great, you have this work permit, but then now what do I do? And then we're brought in on a conversation. Um, through, you know, through the HR to be able to give them some general idea and educate them about the process. And then they choose, you know, mm-hmm. do we want to move this forward or not? Um, great. We have about just a little under three minutes. We're at like two minutes and 45 seconds. So just to, just to wrap up, uh, it, so in terms of just individuals, I guess, you know, individual employers, is there, beyond an attorney, um, is there anywhere else they can go for help to get started if they want to kind of learn more about this without 
diving right into a relationship with an attorney, other like I don't know, Sherm or other other associations. Sherm, yeah, Sherm definitely has some good resources out there for companies. There are some really good, even publications that I use, like uh, Who Bears the Cost of Sponsorship. So that's publicly available. So there, I think they do a, a great job. Um, there's, you know, there's. Uh, American Immigration Lawyers Association is more so for, for lawyers, but I think SHRM is one of the best organizations out there for, for resources. And there's, you know, this is a hot topic now, so there's all kinds of articles being written. Uh, I think somebody who breaks down immigration really well is Stuart Anderson of Forbes. I, I read a lot of his stuff. I like it. So he's okay. another, you know, it's another good read for people if they're interested. Great. Um so, like I said, we have about a minute and a half left. So, I want to I want to give you a chance to let people know where they can find you if they have any interest in talking to you. And but before before you do that, um, the the countdown voice. Uh, before we do that, thanks very much for being <laughs> on the show today. It's been interesting, and the half hour we allotted went by really fast. So, um, thought it was fascinating conversation and useful. So, appreciate you taking the time to do it for us, Elizabeth. And uh, why don't you tell folks where they can find you uh, on your website or social media or wherever you would like to mention. Sure. So uh, they can find us at Goff Immigration, G-O-S-S Immigration.com. Um, there's information on the website about how to arrange uh, if you have a question. There's a lot of resources on our website as well. Um, and I, you know, it, this was very uh, fun for me today. And thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, uh, we're going to we're going to go ahead and, and wrap up then. Thanks for being on the show, Elizabeth. I hope that you get some lovely spring weather in Boston and head into a great summer up there. I love that area. And uh, we will uh, connect with you again sometime down the road, hopefully. Have a great afternoon. Okay. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.